Last year, I'm sure you remember my Thanksgiving message well. Last year, we talked about the story of, uh, we find in the Gospels where Jesus comes across 10 lepers whose lives have been destroyed by their disease, and Jesus, in compassion, heals them of their illness and restores their lives. And, and as the story tells us, of the 10 that are healed, only one returns to give God thanks. And so last year, we talked about being the one. And I gave you a picture. I gave you this picture with the statement, be the one, to put on your fridge to remind you every day that, that, that we are to be that one person that uh, is mindful of what Christ has given us and we're to live with an attitude of gratitude. And I've been in a few of your homes and I've seen that uh, um, on your fridge. Uh, but uh, we're going to talk about Thanksgiving in a bit of a different way here this morning because you know our people all around this country today, whether they're Christians or not, whether they know Jesus or not, are expressing some sort of thankfulness, appreciation for what they've been given. What I want to show you this morning is that the Christian does something a little bit more Thanksgiving. Our role in Thanksgiving uh, goes beyond just the giving of thanks. And we want to talk about that this morning. We're in the final week of our series I've called How to Be Rich, where we've been looking in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 together over these weeks and discovering what it means to be rich and what it means to live rich. And essentially, essentially we can summarize that um, if we look at verses 11 and 12 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul begins by saying this, you will be enriched in every way. And so that's where we began a few weeks ago, talking about God's abundant grace, that what makes a person rich is not the amount of money they have. What makes a person rich is the grace that they have received from God in their lives through faith in Jesus Christ, right? The riches of God's grace, the riches of having your sins forgiven, being brought into a right relationship with God, having God before you, um, having the gift of eternal, everlasting life and the security that comes with knowing that we are in the hands of God and nothing can separate us from the good future that he has for those who trust in his son, Jesus. So we have received God's abundant grace through Jesus, which makes us rich. And that's where we began. And Paul goes on to say that you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. We talked about how the natural response of grace received in our lives is then grace given. That God creates in us a heart of generosity when we know his grace. Paul says in verse 12, this service, this generosity that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people. And so last week we talked about how God has given us so that we can meet the needs that God has placed around us. He could use us to impact and change the lives of others for their good. But Paul doesn't just stop there. He says our generosity is doing more than just meeting the needs of people. He says there's a byproduct of our generosity. Verse 12, this service you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. And so this is where we end. God's abundant grace generates abundant generosity in us, meeting abundant needs around us, bringing to God abundant praise and thanksgiving, which Paul says is the result of your generosity. The result will be thanksgiving to God, praise to God. This is the result of your service, he says. And he uses the word service a few times. He uses it in verse 12. He uses it again in verse 13. 
The word service there in the Greek is the Greek word liturgia, which to the people who received the letter, the Corinthians, would have been... um, would have been uh, a familiar word, okay? What they would have associated with this word was what they would have seen around them within their city where the rich people uh, became patrons of the city through their service. The wealthy would contribute donations toward some cause in the city uh, and, and uh, the response then of the city and the people to this generosity, the service to the city is that they would They would praise the giver. They would put little plaques on monuments honoring the person who had given. In other words, the person who gave received for themselves thanks and praise and honor. And it's really no different today, right? I mean, people give, rich people give sums of money for some cause, and then what happens? We name buildings after them, right? And maybe that's even kind of why they give. It's because it, it's kind of appealing to have a building named after you and to get the, the sort of praise and the honor that comes from others when you give. This has been a, it's been a good year for me. I've had two buildings named after me this year. Pretty excited. Yeah, last year at, at Bethel in, in uh, Kenya, you just heard about it. I swooped in, played with the kids, and um, dedicated the building here. And on that little plaque behind you, it, 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 it calls the building Ru- the Rusty Hostel which I think is a beautiful name for a building, right? Wouldn't you want to stay in a in place called the Rusty Hostel? Like it has a ring, it has a ring to it. Anyway, so that, that was pretty cool. And then a few months later, after I had gone up to Silver Bay and done some work up there on, on a building, they, they actually honored me. It was pretty cool. They, they named the building the Rusty Hildebrand I Did Nothing Bunky. So I just, <laughs> so I felt deeply honored, appreciated by that. So it's been a good year been a good year for me. Um, but often our giving, now, now the, the, the people to whom this was written, they, they knew what the service was. They knew that the service was often a, really a form of self-promotion as our giving can tend to be self-promotion, to increase my honor, right? to increase my status. Have you ever been upset that you didn't get the credit that you felt you deserved when you gave something or when you did something? When you didn't get the credit you deserve for your service? Have you ever felt that? Come on, you have, right? You know what it feels like, the anger of feeling like you didn't get the credit that you deserve for what you had done. And so we all know what that feels like. And what that means is that at times in our heart, service really becomes an act of self-promotion. And Jesus warns against this in the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter six in the Sermon on the Mount, verses two and three, when he says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who knows what is done in secret will reward you. He's essentially saying, make sure that your giving isn't self-promotion to increase your own honor to gain praise for yourself. And it seems that the Corinthian church had a bit of a problem. And if you read 1 Corinthians and you read 2 Corinthians, you get the impression this was kind of a prideful bunch of people. In fact, of all the times that the Apostle Paul in all his letters to various churches uses the word boast, okay, I I did the Google search 47 times. 32 of those times are to the Corinthians. 
I mean, you find the word scattered across the letter to the Corinthians, talking about their boasting and how they ought not to boast and what sort of boasting they should have. And you get a sense that they had a bit of a pride problem. And so he comes here and he talks about their giving, their service, and he wants to make something abundantly clear. He says in verse 13, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise who? Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel. He says your service, your generosity, the result of it will be thanksgiving to God. It will be praise and glory given to God. In other words, Paul is saying, guys, Christians, it's great to give thanks. It is totally appropriate to be a thanksgiver. We ought to be. But he says you ought not to stop there. We're called not just to be thanks givers. We're called to be thanks makers. Thanks makers. We're called to be people that in our generosity produce thanksgiving and praise to God and other people. That's what he's saying. It's easy to be a selfish thanker, isn't it? You don't even have, you don't have to be a Christian to be a thanker, to be filled with thanksgiving. But it's so easy just to be a selfish thinker. If I analyze some of my prayers at night or when I tuck in my kids and we pray and, and I catch myself saying these words, I sometimes think, wow, thank you, God, for this. Thank you for giving me that. Thank you for giving me that. Thank you, God, oh, that, that's such a blessing. You're so good. Thank you, God, for giving me that. And that's all good. That's an appropriate response to, to God's grace. But, but Paul says that's not a complete response. It is incomplete. A complete response to God's grace is to lead others, to serve others in such a way that they too would thank God and praise God for his grace. That's the deepest desire of the heart of a Christian. It's to bring glory to God. Not just to enjoy what God has given, but to bring to God glory and not just from my life, but, but in the lives of, of others. Um, Paul says to the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, whether you eat or whether you drink, and whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, that God's greatness would be seen through you. This is essentially what Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer. Have you ever prayed the Lord's Prayer? Do you know the Lord's Prayer? How does it go? Our Father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let's just stop there. You've prayed that, okay? You knew that. So let's translate English into English. Because what in the world does that mean? Hallowed be thy name? What does that mean? What does it mean? Okay. Hallow when we pray, when the very first pray of prayer of the Christian is, Lord, hallowed be thy name, what are we praying? We're saying, Lord, may your name, we can't make God's name holy. We can't, we can't give, increase God's glory, give more glory than he has. When we pray, when we request of God that God's name be holy, what we're saying is, may your name be seen to be holy on earth as it is in heaven. 
And, I, and the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six, he gets a vision of heaven and he, sees, he says, I saw the Lord Almighty seated on the throne. The, the train of his robe filled the temple and I saw angels that ministered around the throne of God and day after day after day they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. They saw it. They savored it. And the prayer of the Christian is, Lord, may your name be seen to be holy. May may, may we see your glory on earth the way that it is seen in heaven. That's the very first prayer of the Christian. May your greatness be seen and savored in the earth. In other words, that's the greatest need. That's the greatest need that we have is to see the glory of God, to know the grace of God. When those friends brought the, the crippled man, we find the story in Mark chapter two, right? The, the crippled man who, whose four friends took him on a, on a stretcher and they hauled him to find Jesus and they couldn't get into the room, so what did they do? They just tore a hole in the roof, right? Those are good friends. They tore a hole in the roof, um, they lowered the man in front of Jesus, to be healed and Jesus says, he says, brother, your sins are forgiven. And the friends thought, nah, that's not, that's not what I, I came here for. We, we brought him so that he'd heal his legs. And Jesus said, okay, just so you know, just so you know that I have the power to forgive sins, to make you right before God. Okay, I'll heal your legs. Okay, take up your mat and walk. And the people were amazed. But Jesus was being very clear here when he says, your first and foremost need is not to have enough food in your belly or to have legs that work or to have a good job. No, 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 those are important. God cares about those things. But your foremost need is to know the holiness and the greatness of God in your life. That's what you need more than anything else. And Paul says to the Christians, he says, your joyful generosity, it's not just meeting people's needs. In meeting people's needs, it's bringing to God through their thankfulness to him, praise and glory. It's answering the prayer that you pray if you pray the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy name. He says, in, in a sense, you you then, in, in your joyful generosity, function like a telescope, which I've used this illustration before, but um, what does a telescope do? It takes something that's really big, but far away and hard, sometimes hard to see with the eye. It, 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 it makes it bigger. Not bigger than it is. That's a, telescope, that, that's a microscope. It, 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 it just makes it closer to its actual size. It puts it into better perspective, right? And he says, you and your joyful generosity in your service to those around you, you're functioning like a telescope through which people can get a greater glimpse through your life, through your generosity into the greatness and the generosity and the grace of God. He says, that's what your generosity is doing. That's what it's resulting in. It's increasing people's vision of God's glory and that's what they need more than anything else. How does it do that? How does that joyful generosity increase the glory of God that people see? 
It shows that God is your highest treasure, your greatest joy. That's what joyful generosity does. That's, that's what selfless service does. It shows people what you, what you say with your mouth. And honestly, what a lot of people hear Christians say, and they just don't really believe it because they're not really sure that you believe it, right? Which is what? That, that God is my greatest treasure. In God, I have everything that I need. In God alone is my joy. Right? They hear it. But do they see it? Right? When they see that in you, when they see that joyful generosity, it says, God is the greatest treasure. God is the giver of the greatest joy. And people think, wow, he really seems to think God is great. Maybe God is great. And they will come to see the grace of God through the grace worked out in your life. That's what Jesus said back in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Shine bright, be a light, that others may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Men will praise God, Paul says, from the obedience that flows from your confession. Not, not the confession itself, okay? That's not where the praise of God flows from, he says. It comes from the obedience of the confession. When people see that joyful generosity. Paul brings the section of, of chapters 8 and 9 uh, to a close in kind of an interesting way. Verses 14 and 15, he says, um, and in their prayers, the people that you serve in your generosity, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And that's how he closes. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, if I was writing this letter, I probably wouldn't have written it that way. I, I probably would have closed by saying, thanks be to God for your generous gift but he doesn't he says thanks be to God for his indescribable gift and what's the gift this indescribable gift that God gives well it's what he's talked about just three words before at the end of verse 14 when he talks about the surpassing grace that God has given them the Corinthians which is the grace of giving the grace of giving he says Praise be to God, thanks be to God that he has, he has given this gift to you. What is the gift? The gift is the, is, is, is the grace, the joy that comes in generosity. He says that's the avenue to your joy. In other words, Paul says that their giving was a gift not just from them, their giving, their generosity was a gift to them. It was a gift to them. It was for their joy. You know, I, uh, when I was thinking on that, I remember this interview I heard on CBC Radio 1. Do any of you ever listen to CBC Radio 1? I, I think it was named after the number of people that listen to CBC Radio 1. That's, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and sometimes I'm that one person. It's a sad life. Um, but, but I remember this interview on CBC Radio 1. It was a program called the nature of sacrifice, what you gain by giving up. 
was what it was called. And they interviewed a Canadian Olympian by the name of Colin Jenkins. Have any of you ever heard of Colin Jenkins? Okay, maybe one person nodding their head. Most of you have no idea who Colin Jenkins is. I didn't know who Colin Jenkins was. He was a triathlete in the 2008 Summer Olympics. And you probably don't know who he is because he came 50th out of 50. Okay? He was dead last in, in this competition. And so they were interviewing him because that brought him great joy. He was elated by the fact that he had done so well. And the reason that he was so happy with his result was that his aim wasn't to medal. That's not why he was racing, okay? His aim was to help his teammate medal. Some of you have heard of Simon Whitfield. You heard of Simon Whitfield? Okay. Pretty big deal when he won for Canada the very first silver medal in, in uh, Olympic triathlon ever. Um, and so Colin Jenkins' role was to be Simon Whitfield's domestique. That's a French word. I don't know what it means. But what a domestique is there for is, is, not, is not to win themselves, but, it, but it's to but it's to help another get onto the podium. So maybe you've seen a race where they're biking or something and you've seen them all clustered together and one goes on the front in order to, um, in the first service I said in order to break the wind, but then I realized that didn't sound. <laughs> I thought, I was trying to come up with better words than break wind, but I, I couldn't come up with anything in the moment. I still can't. You know what I mean, drafting? Okay, you know what I mean, right? Um, anyway, <laughs> operated in such a way as to give their teammate the best chance of success to medal. That was his job. And when he had done that, he fell back. He was 50th out of 50, but he had done his job, and he was so elated in the outcome because he said, I wanted to be part of something much bigger than myself. That's what brought him the joy, and he was. He was a part of something much bigger than himself, and to him, that was great joy. It's the joy that Paul, or sorry, that John describes, John the Baptist, in, uh, in the Gospel of John. Many of you know who will, will know who John the Baptist was, right? He was kind of the one who prepared the way for Jesus. He prepared people's hearts uh, for Jesus when Jesus arrived on the scene, and he baptized him, and he was there to point others towards Jesus as the giver of life. And so we find in John chapter 3 that after he's baptized Jesus and Jesus has begun his ministry, John still has some disciples and they come to him. They're kind of bothered. They say, Rabbi, that, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, they're talking about Jesus, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing people. Now everybody's going to him. What are you going to do about that? How do you think about that, John? And John replied, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah. I am not the life giver. I am not the Savior. But I was sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom awaits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He says, guys, don't think I'm upset by that. By, by people looking to him. No, no, instead of me. No, no. He said, that's what it was all about. 
pointing people towards Jesus Christ to find life in him. And when that happens, and when people go to him, it makes my joy complete, he says. Pointing others to him so that God gets the thanksgiving, so that God gets the praise, so that God gets the glory. That's what makes my joy complete. That's what makes me happy. And then he said, he must become greater and I must become less. He must become greater and I must become less. And that's the prayer of the Christian, the one who knows the grace of God. That he must become greater and that I must become less. That's the way to joy. So when, when, when Paul concludes by by saying at the end of chapter nine, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift that he has given you, which is to allow you to exercise this service. He is saying, our joy is made complete. We are at our richest when God uses our service, our generosity to cause other people to see God's glory, to see his greatness, and to become thanksgivers. We are at our richest when we are increasing the thanksgiving and the praise God receives. And he says that happens through joyful generosity and service. That's how you become rich. So when we sit around the table, here, having your turkey, um, with family and friends, and, and you're talking about what you're thankful for, and I hope you do take time to share thanksgiving with one another and with God. Let's just be mindful, let's remember here that we are called to be more than just thanksgivers. We are called by God to be thanks makers. That's what it looks like to be rich, to live rich. God's abundant grace generates in us abundant generosity, accomplishing, meeting the abundant need around us, bringing to God abundant praise and thanksgiving. That's what it means to be rich in this life. So let's be rich. You want to stand with me as we close in prayer? God, I feel bad for stopping. It's 10 minutes to 12. should have more to say. I think everyone's okay with that. God, you are so incredibly generous to us, Father. Um, you have given us so much in Jesus, more than we could ever fathom. We are so rich in this world through your Son. We thank you, Father, for your generosity to us. That while we were sinners, you loved us. And Jesus laid down his life for us, that we might have life in him so God, may, may the broad expanse of your love and the abundance of the richness of your glory kind of shape our perspective about our own life. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts to all the blessings that surround us and, and, and make us aware of all of them and may that produce in us a harvest of generosity so that others may see how great you are that others may have the joy and the gladness in God that we have in you.
May thoughts of your son Jesus just fill our minds and may hunger for you drive our souls and guide our lives. And finally, Father, may grace and peace and love, your grace and peace and love, protect us, defend us, and empower us as we run with perseverance this race you've marked out for us. For the glory of your Son, in Jesus' name, amen.